that publicly. Hey, everybody. No, I actually did say yes to several weeks just so I could figure out this room. You know, this is my third time here, and I still don't know, like, Pharisees, Sadducees, or, you know, love God. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet, but I, just, I can already tell in three times that you all sit on the same side, don't you? Okay? Sometime we, we get, we're going to have to just mix this whole thing up a little bit. But it was so good. This, uh, this week I had a meeting with Kenton and um, some of the teaching pastors at Mariners just to kind of get a vision of what's going on. And, and I, I texted Kenton afterwards and said, it did my heart so good to be with these people because they have such a commitment for the church, for, for Scripture, for God's Word, for you specifically in, in Mission Viejo in this season of, of transition. And I said, I'm, I'm honored to, to play a part. It did my heart good to be there. And every time I've been here, it does my heart good. And I am so excited about this this series that we're starting next week. I'm actually like giddy with excitement about it, but uh, that's next week. We got today. And uh, today I'm just curious, because um, it's kind of a weird deal to ask a church crowd, but raise your hand or make some noise if, if you are a NASCAR fan. Let me see where you are. Okay, you that just yelled need to come over here, okay, because we got more NASCAR fans over here. The rest of you are like, what's NASCAR? And, and that's exactly, you know, my, my thought as well. Uh, I last month was invited to an all-expense-paid trip to go fly to Michigan to watch a NASCAR event. I had a pit pass. This person was very excited to invite me. And honestly, I'd rather stab myself in the leg than, uh, you know, get in a plane and fly to Michigan and be away from my family to watch cars go in circles. Because I I haven't figured out whether NASCAR is a real sport. For the longest time, I thought NASCAR was an acronym for uh, non-athletic sport uh, centered around rednecks. Uh, that's what I thought, okay? And that's actually safe to say in Southern California, but you know, in NASCAR people, they're also the same people who like hunting, <laughs> which means they carry guns. And if we have any angry NASCAR people here, I just want to let you know, I could learn to like it, okay? I mean, it's, it's better than watching bowling, worse than golf. Uh, usually when they say, you know, gentlemen, start your engines, I want to drive off a cliff. But the reason I bring up NASCAR to the eight people who love it and the rest of us who are confused about it, we know the essence of NASCAR, right? The essence of NASCAR is you drive really, really what? Fast. In circles. Really, really fast in circles. And I think it's a perfect metaphor for how we live in South Orange County. Okay, this is my, my home. I've grown up in Southern California most of my life, lived most of the Southern California life in South Orange County. And our culture here is about doing things faster, going quicker, getting places faster. And I don't see any real incentive that you and I are going to slow down. Took this picture less than five miles from this church. Okay? I think this picture summarizes our life, doesn't it? That health and safety is 25, but that's not how we live our life. We don't live health and safety. We live it to the, to the fullest. That in South Orange County, there is a bias toward hurry. And busy people are viewed with this sense of, of uh, uh, value. Rushed people carry themselves with this, this sense of prestige. Last night after church, my family and I went out to dinner, and uh, we were at, up in Ladera Ranch and, at Corky's. Okay, Corky's, because it's about the only thing open past nine in South Orange County. And, and a guy came up to me that I haven't seen in a while, and he greeted me 
But instead of saying hi, he greeted me with a question of pace. You know that greeting, because when you haven't seen someone in a while, you probably say the same thing. You say what? Keeping busy. Yeah, keeping busy. Because it's almost like that's a greeting that says, you know, are you being productive? Are you achieving? Are you producing? Are you making something out of your life? And busyness is the norm. And yet, the reason I bring this up as we move really into a busy, octane-filled season, the reason I bring this up is because when I sit with people, knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye, and we just share life together, you know what I hear people say? Doug, I'm so busy, but I don't want to be. I mean, I go to bed fatigued, and I wake up stressed out, and that's not how I want to live my life. Now, I'm just curious. There's several hundred of us here. By a show of hands, how many of you would be brave enough? And I don't fully know the transparency in this community yet. It's only my third time here. But I'm the kind of guy that likes honesty. So if you would be brave enough to raise your hand to say, yeah, I'm, I'm probably, even if you give me a probably, I'm probably too busy in my life. Put your hand up, keep it up, and just Look around, because I also like people not to feel like they're alone, because a lot of times we feel like we're alone in, in, in church world. Now, obviously, busyness is displayed and it has many different faces, but let's just poke fun at a few. How many of you got in an argument this morning on the way to church because you were rushing and somebody was not ready? Just raise your hand. Yeah? <laughs> it had, don't nudge. I didn't say nudge. I just said raise your hand, okay? Because that, that happens all the time. How about raise your hand if you're a gronker? You know what a gronker is? You're the, you're the person that in the car, uh, the nanosecond the light turns green, you honk. Okay, it's green plus honk as we call it gronk. You're a gronker. Any gronkers in here? Okay, few of you gronkers. How about like me? This is, wh- this is where I sense my rush all the time. Anytime... I have to stand in a line, and I have to choose a line. I'm always, I'm always thinking this one through, okay? Anybody with me on this one? <laughs> I feel so known. Thank you. Thank you. Like, when I go to a grocery store, I actually look at how many people are in line. I look at their carts. I, I multiply the number of carts by how many pe- t- items in the cart by how many people in line, divided by the age of the checker, and then I get in line. And then I don't get in line calmly. I get in line and I'm anxious. I'm like watching the other people where they've been and just kind of doing one of these deals. And then, and then if I win, I like take one of my food items and slam it to the ground and, you know, do one of those. But busyness is also displayed in ways that are, that are not so humorous. A lack of depth in your life. Superficial relationships. Going through life where people don't really know who you are. See, busyness has relational elements to it. There's a price to pay for busyness, and it is often steep. You show me a busy person, and I'll show you a broken person. Relationally broken, emotionally broken, spiritually broken, maybe even physically broken. So my question to this NASCAR community Of many who raised their hand and said, I'm too busy. Here's my question to us and to me as well. Mirror is up, okay? Where is Jesus in this NASCAR illustration? 
Is Jesus in the race car? Is he, is he driving? Is he riding shotgun? Is he, is he in the pit crew that is speeding you up to help you go? Is he the one speaking into your headset, giving you directions to run faster? Or could it be that Jesus isn't part of that NASCAR event of your life at all? That he's maybe even outside that racetrack wooing you away from the NASCAR lifestyle? See, you and I live this NASCAR lives while we're trying to follow a Savior who walks and doesn't want you and I to run ahead of Him. Jesus boldly proclaimed, one of my favorite verses, I have come that you might have life and life to its fullness. He didn't say, I came that you might be busy. I came that you might be stressed out. I came that you might be overwhelmed. I came that you might be hurried. And I think we have become experts at replacing busyness with abundance. That instead of this abundant life that Jesus promised, we settle for this busy life that we've created. Now, let's just take a brief look at this text that I'm, in essence, this won't be our primary text, but it's the one that I think sets us up. In John 10.10, one that I want on my gravesite because I feel like this is the essence of why Jesus came. Jesus says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life. Read the rest with me. And life to the full. Okay, other translations say that he might have, I might have life uh, more abundantly, life in the full, a better life than you've ever dreamt of. The focus there is on fullness. But if you have your Bibles, what I want you to do, and if you don't, you can raise your hand and somebody will bring you one or you can just look on the screen. In Matthew chapter 11, some of the famous words of Jesus that I want us to, I want us to look at at today and say, how do these intersect with our NASCAR lifestyles? In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and what? Burdened. And I will give you what? Rest. Weary, burdened, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, I think there's a real strong connection between rest for our souls and this abundant life that Jesus promised. I actually think there's a great marriage there. I have come that you might have life, life in all its fullness, and I provide rest for your souls. Now, as you read this text, some of you are like, yoke? What is he? T- I don't even like eggs. What is Jesus talking about here? See, take my yoke upon you is a call to not only follow Jesus, but it's a call to be his, his disciple, to be connected to him. To yoke oneself to Jesus is to join yourself with him. That the phrase yoke in the Bible, it's a common reference to a a wooden frame that fit over the shoulders of of animals. I think this is a perfect example, here it is right here, of what it means to be yoked to Jesus. This is what he's referencing. That when animals would be yoked to one another, they would work in tandem. 
They would make life easier. They would rely on one another. They would share the burden with one another. So Jesus is saying, hey, join my yoke. Attach yourself to me. When we use the word a follower of Jesus, this is the image that comes to my mind, that we would be yoked right here. We're not following this way in the distance. Jesus is calling us to be yoked to him. Now, some of you, I see some of you are big and buff. You, you've had yoked. I want to be yoked. It's a whole different meaning, all right? Being, being yoked with Jesus is, is right, right there. It's not yoked to a NASCAR vehicle that is just whipping you through life. This is connecting with Jesus and seeing the rhythms of his life and following those rhythms. And the result, here's what we net out of it, rest for our souls. Okay, now, I did the same thing you can do. The great thing about the Bible being translated in, in English. Now, I studied it in Hebrew, the Old Testament, Greek, and the New Testament. But the great thing is we have, we have it in English. We can read it. So I did the same thing that you could do, and you could have done this had I prefaced you and told you to read this text before you came. But this week, as I was looking it over, I just had my Bible out and my journal open, and I just started looking at these three verses to see all the stuff that was there. And I, I'm just going to show you this, this list real quick. Um, but here's what's happening in this text. That Jesus knows me because he says, you're busy, tired, worn out. He's basically describing those of us in the 21st century in Orange County. Jesus invites me. He says, come to me. Jesus promises me. What does he promise? That I will give you rest, rest for your soul. Jesus offers me. He offers me companionship to take my yoke upon you. Jesus instructs me. Oh, this is so great. Because that's what a master does with to an apprentice. Let me instruct you, Doug, on how to live life. Let me show you. I'm God. I created this whole thing. Let me just yoke yourself to me and I'll, I'll show you the rhythm of life. I'll instruct you. Jesus comforts me by telling us, hey, I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. I'm not going to jack your life. I'm not going to race you up and down. I'm, I'm gentle and humble. I want the best for you. And then Jesus assures me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, this, this list to me, I just look at that and I go, that's the Jesus we sing about. That's the Jesus we celebrate. And this, this promise of partnership is so appealing to me. But here's what happens. This promise intersects with the 21st century, doesn't it? I mean, it's nice, but man, Doug, I, you know, I got a lot going on. And that's why busy is the enemy of the abundant life. Okay? Busy is the enemy of the abundant life. That hurry is the enemy of rest. These things that Jesus promised, rest for our souls and abundance, they can't be had with the way that we live our lives. What we want, what we long for, what our soul dreams of, it can't be possessed in a NASCAR lifestyle. Now, let's think about you being yoked to Jesus for a second. Give me like one word descriptions of Jesus. If you were asked to describe Jesus in one word, what would you say? Let's go to this side over here. Loving. What else? Patient. 
forgiveness. Okay, we'll come to the quality side. Okay, what else we got? Caring. Caring. Grace. Grace. Say it again. Sacrificial. Great, great. Dallas Willard, who's kind of a modern-day expert on spiritual formation, was asked that question. If you could describe Jesus in one word, what would it be? Here was his word. Relaxed. Wasn't on my list. Okay? Didn't, didn't pop up in our conversation. The Savior of the world relaxed. Look on, look on the screen. Look at this quote from a great book called Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips. It says, If there is one thing which should be quite plain to those who accept the revelation of God and nature in the Bible is that he is never in a hurry. Long preparation, careful planning, and slow growth would seem to be leading characteristics of spiritual life. It is refreshing to study the poise and the quietness of Christ. His task and responsibility might well have driven a man out of his mind, but he was never in a hurry, never impressed by numbers, never a slave of the clock. He was acting, he said, as he observed God to act, never in a hurry. See, Jesus didn't do life in a frantic pace, and he's not calling you and I to a followership of busyness. Jesus waited 30 years for his public ministry, and his first act of ministry after waiting 30 years was not to gather a bunch of people together for a party, for a mass healing. It wasn't to play game, Red Rover, Red Rover, send the Pharisee right over. It wasn't that. His first act, you know what he did? He followed the Spirit to the desert for 40 days of praying and fasting. See, Jesus moved slowly. And I got to imagine that he frustrated people along the way. Let me give you a few examples. Mark chapter 5, the the synagogue official comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus says, yes. And they begin to walk to the daughter's house who's very sick. And as they walk, the Bible tells us everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. So there's a crowd of people around Jesus as they're walking, and somebody reaches through the crowd and touches the cloak that Jesus was wearing. And Jesus stops and says what? Who knows? Who touched me? Okay. Now, can you imagine this? They're going to heal the official's daughter. The crowd is around. The dad has got to be stressed and angst and in a hurry and, and excited about his own agenda. And Jesus stops the parade and says, who touched me? Okay. Now, the dad has to be going, okay, I did. <laughs> let's, let's go. You know, you can see Peter going, I would never touch you, Jesus. You know, and Bartholomew saying, I tried to give Andrew a flat on a sandal, and he might have fallen into you. I, you know, we were just goofing around, but a lot of people touched you, Jesus. Okay. But what Jesus models in this, even though he puzzled a lot of people, he modeled a love that stops. Okay. Then you've got Lazarus. This is interesting. One of Jesus' favorite, favorite people on the planet. And... Uh, John chapter 10, it says his sisters went to Jesus and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son might be glorified. And uh, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, 
He stayed where he was two more days. I don't know why this strikes me as funny. Okay? Your best friend is sick on the point of death. And when Jesus heard that, he stayed for two more days. Okay? He, Jesus probably would not make Mariner's church visitation team. Okay? You know, hey, we got people sick. Eh, let's just wait. It just, he, he, he wasn't in a hurry. And he communed, and those of you that don't know the event, you ought to read it because it ends really well. Uh, he, he, he also emphasized this, this same important truth to Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. I'm just trying to paint these pictures of God in the flesh for you so you get this essence of his character. In, in Luke uh, 10 verse 38 When Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? I tell her to help help me. Does it sound like anybody's home? Yeah. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary had it right. She knew what was most important. She sat at the feet of Jesus. I think for many of us, we don't have it right. I mean, we, we call ourselves Christians. We even identify ourselves as Christ followers. But we run the race. Okay? That we run the race. That it, when following Jesus is more of a walk. It's more of sitting at his feet and focusing on him. That you and I are called to love. And yet we, we, we run. We're called to serve. And yet we, we rush. We're, we're called to care. And yet we hurry. See, love walks. Love stops. Love meanders. And myself, Doug Fields, I desperately want to learn from Jesus himself how to live this unhurried life in this hurried world. Now, I'm not suggesting a lazy life. Absolutely not. I'm just suggesting a life that involves less speed and more love. And this is so counterintuitive to how our world works because our world works, the faster you go, the more you'll get, the more you'll get, the more you'll do, the more Jesus will be happy. And somehow I doubt that all those things that I'm getting done matter as much to Jesus as they do to me. Because his greatest commandment was not get more done. His greatest commandment was love him and love others. I want to trade my NASCAR lifestyle for a walk with Jesus. And I'm, I'm inviting you into this. Now, this is an outlandish challenge. And if you take this outlandish challenge, it means you're going to have to do a little open heart surgery on yourself, a little do-it-yourself surgery to evaluate your habits and, and your fears and the specific insecurities that are deep within your heart. Because busyness... No matter what anybody tells you, it's a heart issue. John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, wrote this. I love it. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. 
Hurry is not just a disordered schedule, it's a disordered heart. You got to go within. See, most people do this when they want to tackle busyness. They simply think, I just need to take on new, new habits to become more efficient. Now, obviously, that would help to figure out how do I manage email and my blog feeds and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, which I'm still not even sure what LinkedIn is. Uh, you know, all that stuff that is just consuming to us. I'm sure that would help. But efficiency is not the answer. Because you can be very efficient and still lack love. Just ask the Nazis who prided themselves on the efficient way in which they killed people. Efficiency is not the answer to busyness. As a matter of fact, I actually may need to become less efficient so I can be more loving because love is willing to waste time. That efficiency and time management are just band-aids on a hemorrhage. We've got to go deeper. Okay, Doug, I'm with you. I'm tracking. I even want what you're suggesting, but hey, man, I live in the real world. How do I do this? Let's get practical. Okay, because that's how I like to play, because God's word is very practical. So what do you do? How do we, how do we, how do we battle this? Let me, let me go real practical. First, I think you've got to pause to determine what's beneath the yes that you want to say. You've got to pause to determine what's beneath the yes, meaning that you've got to dig deep. Why are you saying yes to everything? Because yes is what puts us on this track. Yes is what makes us so busy. Strong insecurities make us want to be loved, so we say yes. Or, or we want to be someone, or we want to be the hero, and so we say yes. Or the fear of letting other people down causes us to say yes. Or our ambition to be recognized and legitimate causes us to be yes. That's the deep stuff that I'm talking about. And unfortunately, I know all that stuff all too well. I've battled busyness and pace and rush and hurry most of my adult life. As a matter of fact, I even wrote a book on it called What Matters Most. And I still battle it every single day. And when I get overwhelmed or hurried or busy or out of control, here's what happens. It always points back to yeses that I didn't need to say. But there was some reason that I did. And it's always my brokenness. See, I'm I'm insecure. I struggle with insecurity. And so, yes leads me to security. I fear that people won't like me. So I'm a people pleaser. So, so yes buys me acceptance. I don't like for other people to be mad at me. So, so yes buys me some relational uh, peace. And what I'm suggesting here is when you pause, you, you keep digging to get to the real stuff. Because once you identify the why, you bring it out into the light. Jesus did it for Martha. <laughs> he said, Martha, you got it all wrong. You're distracted by stuff that doesn't matter. Look at Mary. She's got it right. She's yoked to me. She's an apprentice of the master. And once it's out in the light, you deal with it. So you got to pause to, to determine what's beneath my yes. Second is I think, I think you stop something every week. You just develop a habit of stopping things. You cancel it. 
you get rid of it. I think half the stuff that we say yes to, we don't, we don't need to do. We're moving into a season where you've got emails waiting for people that have sent you invitations to things, and, and all the underneath the yes, the people pleasing, they want to be liked, they need to do this, and I'm leveraging that, and ambition here, all those things right now, easy yeses now mean for chaotic later. Just stop something. Every week, just get in the habit of, and it might be minor, just might be a minor stop. I'm not suggesting what it is, but I do know this. Every yes is an invitation to busyness. Every yes is an invitation to busyness. You can say no. Let's practice. Count of three. Say no. One, two, three. No. Now with conviction. One, two, three. No. Yeah, now in Spanish. One, two, three. No. no. Yeah, some of you said C. That, no, that's... <laughs> It's no. Okay. Now, here, here I, I can hear the pushback. I'll be in the lobby afterwards. I'm sure somebody, Doug, you don't know my life. You don't know my life. Man, I have so much to do. Okay, Spanky. Maybe you're not supposed to do all the stuff that you think you're supposed to do. Could it be that God orchestrated this incredible playground that we call earth and has given us just enough time to do what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to do includes loving him and loving others see jesus who we're yoked to he didn't say yes to everyone he didn't say yes to everything he left some people unhealed he said no to some things so he could say yes to the Father and to a rhythm of life. And he was the Savior of the world. I mean, try that one on. Oh, wait. Actually, that's how some of us are so busy. We think we are the Savior of the world. And so we say yes to everyone and everything. So i got to pause to dig a little deep and determine what's underneath my yes. Get in the habit of stopping some things every week. Just develop that, that no muscle. And, and thirdly, I would say, so we got to pause, we got to stop. Let me give you a start. You start a relaxed walk with Jesus. That this week you yoke yourself to him. You connect with him. You experience his rhythms. That what if, just play this game with me, what if we followed Jesus by more than just word, that we actually became the apprentice to the master and our values begin to slowly change. The transformation of the Holy Spirit begins to change something within us where life doesn't become about the chase and the race and the pace. Ooh, I got a Dr. Seuss thing happening here. Uh, but it becomes more about community and loving one another. I mean, what if when we gathered together on Sunday mornings that we didn't race out afterwards? And all of a sudden, we begin to connect with people and talk with people and invite one another to commune over a meal. And all of a sudden, we sense that the Spirit of God in that person is ministering to me and something is coming alive in me when I'm around these people that are yoked to Jesus. That what if being yoked to Him was so transforming to who we are that we actually began to change. And we saw that love walks when hurry races. Or love actually stares at people when busy just glances. That we're so transformed by the Spirit of God and being yoked in a disciple of Jesus 
that love enhances people's values rather than rush, which reduces people to a task. That what if, what if our value wasn't based so much on what we do or accomplish, but our value is based on how we love? I mean, what would happen to your life? What would happen to your life if you took on the look of Jesus and, and took on his, his pace? See, because to really love people, what you've been talking about the last three weeks, it takes time. I mean, to really love people, it just takes time. And time is what busy people don't have. Now, let's go back to NASCAR for a second. Beginning of the NASCAR race, the announcement, ladies.